Hello there. We hope that you're having a blessed Thursday as we make preparations to continue to study. As far as TNT is concerned, we don't take for granted uh, you joining us at this particular time. And as I straighten out my mic so that you all can hear me clearly, uh, thank you for um, TNT. This is our Thursday noon, Thursday night teaching, and we're looking forward to what the Lord is going to do and going to share as far as our time together uh, is concerned. And we are, of course, looking forward to uh, continuing to dissect Second Peter uh, chapter 2. Uh, we want to focus on verses 4 through 11 as far as our time is concerned on today. So before we get started, I'm going to ask if we could, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer so we, we can uh, make sure that we are in tune with what the Spirit will have for us to uh, say. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> God, we come and we ask right now that your spirit will illuminate our hearts and our minds as we prepare to engage in this time of study and reflection. We pray right now that by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit that you will be in our midst, that you, the master teacher, will show up. Uh, teach us your precepts and let your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. Show yourself mighty and strong, O God, and we shall bless your name for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, as we uh, look forward to uh, having this conversation, uh, this is going to be centered around um, the punishment for false teachers. And one thing that we started talking about last week was false prophets and false teachers. And so we want to continue in the vein as far as false teachers are concerned, because those of us who teach and preach the word, uh, if we do it erroneously with intentionality, God holds us at a greater level of liability than he would for those that do something and they are unaware about it. And God holds us accountable as far as pastors and teachers uh, when it comes to what we share with you. And if you take it as being the word of God and you apply it to your life, God holds us as pastors and teachers accountable for your soul. So in, in that instance, uh, I, I really want to be very intentional as far as talking about what happens to those false teachers when they share uh, insight that they know is wrong and, and live a lifestyle that is not congruent to what God will have for them to do. So um, let's prepare as far as reading the word of God. Second Peter chapter two, starting at verse four through verse 11. And let's get a sense for what God would desire for us to know and learn as far as this time is concerned today. Verse four. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly and delivered righteous Lot, 
who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For the righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. Now, all that I just read unto you is one sentence in the Greek. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. So, what we want to talk about as far as this particular time is concerned deals with primarily three different incidents of where God displayed judgment to those who were rebellious. The angels that he threw out of heaven, Noah uh, and his uh, family, he saved them uh, from the flood, as well as Sodom and Gomorrah. And basically what Peter is saying, if, that if God judged those who were ungodly then, what will God do for those who are false teachers? Their punishment is going to be astounding. So we want to unpack this in a, in a very meaningful way. So let's do some markup of the text, if you don't mind. Verse 4, um, for if God did not spare the angels, I want you to highlight all of that verse. Highlight all of that verse. Highlight all of that verse. And, and I want you to circle, well, I want you to underline the words, angels who sinned. i am come back to that in just a moment. Verse 5, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of the eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing the flood to the world of the ungodly. If you would um, highlight that verse. Highlight verse 5. And turn the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning them to destruction, making them an example of those who afterward would live ungodly. Highlight verse 6. All right, these are the three incidents that I just mentioned. Throwing the angels out of heaven, saving Noah and his family from the flood of the world, and then turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. All right, verse 7, and delivered righteous lot. I want you to uh, highlight the word delivered. I want you to circle the word righteous, and I want you to put a question mark above righteous. <laughs> I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. Who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked for the righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Verse 9, then the Lord knows how to deliver. I want you to highlight the phrase to deliver the godly out of temptations. Uh, underline the word the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust for the punishment for the day of judgment. Highlight that phrase to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Verse 10, especially those who walk according to the flesh, underline the phrase according to the flesh. 
in the lust of uncleanness. If you would highlight the words lust of uncleanness and then highlight the phrase despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. In verse 11, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. Highlight all of that, uh, verse 11, and then circle the word them. Circle the word them. All right. So, when we look at verses 4 through 11, what we see are some glaring examples of God's judgment upon creation and humanity when God really just got fed up with all that is happening. Um, And like I said, when you look at verses 4 through 9, it is a single sentence in the Greek perhaps one of the longest sentences in all of the New Testament. But what Peter is trying to do is to set up, drill into us the fact that God will one day judge false teachers and others who sin against him and his word. Now, I know that, that, that in 2021, One of the things we really don't like to talk about when it comes to the personhood of God is we don't want to talk about judgment. We we hate to even hear that word brought up, the word judgment. But, But I want you to know that the God of grace on one hand is also a God of judgment on the other hand. All right, let me say that again. That the God of grace and of love on one hand It's also a God of judgment, a God of righteousness on the other hand. And we live in a time and we live in a situation where a lot of churches want to only focus on God's grace and God's love, but don't want to talk about God's righteousness and God's judgment. All right. Are y'all with me so far? All right. So what we see here are instances of where God judged God's own creation when it went contrary to the original intent and purpose that God had desired. Now, whether we want to admit it or not, that the first judgment that we are aware of as human beings really took place in the garden. That when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit in the garden, they were sentenced to death. That was a judgment call. Okay, that's a judgment call. Now, I really want to unpack something very meaningful as far as this particular lesson is concerned. And here it goes. And I hope this blesses you uh, and gives you some insight as far as um, some of the things that we purport uh, as far as life is concerned. Now, what are you talking about, Pastor? This is what I'm talking about. Oftentimes, whenever we have loved ones who die, one of the first things that we say is that so-and-so, so-and-so going to get his or her wings, okay? That they're going to be made an angel. And I want to, I'm trying my very best to destroy that false teaching. Because when you die, you're not going to become an angel. 
As a matter of fact, you ain't even an angel here on earth. All right. You are a human being. You're not an angel. And when you die, you're not going to become an angel. So I really want to destroy that particular myth. I want to destroy that bad doctrine because it is not biblical and it cannot be substantiated in Scripture. Now, let me get ready to show you what happens to angels when they mess up. And, and I, hope, I, hope this, I hope this blesses you. In verse 4, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. To be reserved for judgment. This goes back to when Lucifer, who was the angel of worship, um, uh, caused one-third of the angels to rebel against God because he wanted to take God's place. So in Ezekiel uh, 28, 15, uh, these words are printed, you were perfect in your ways the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. And so what God did was when Lucifer persuaded those angels to follow him, God sentenced them to hell immediately. They were cast out of heaven. Now, this is how you ought to know that you're not an angel, nor will you be an angel. Because guess what? God did not give the angels a second chance. But when we sin, God gives us another chance to get this thing right. But when the angels sinned, immediately, God kicked them out, sentenced them to hell. All right? That's how you all know you're not an angel. Because I, 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 I hate to burst your bubble, but stop talking about how we're going to be angels when we die. The moment that the angels sinned against God, God kicked them out of heaven, God sentenced them to hell. God shows more grace to us as human beings than God ever will to angels who sin against him. That's a very profound message that I want, to, want you to understand. And watch this. And the judgment cannot be changed. They are doomed forever. They're doomed forever. All right? But now understand this. If God did not spare the angels, God is not going to spare false teachers. Judgment is coming. All right? Now, the text says that um, the angels who sinned were cast into hell. Uh, now, I, I, I want to, if I could, do a little teaching on, on this word hell in the original Greek because the word hell in the original Greek is uh, Tartarus. And, and, and according to Greek mythology, Paul is, is pulling up a Greek word that the readers of this text will be familiar with because of their culture. Uh, in Greek mythology, Tartarus, uh, Tartarus rather, was the lowest part of the underworld. It was the punishment of the rebellious gods and the departed souls of very evil people. And it is this idea, this picture, that um, Peter 
is helping the reader to understand where the angels were committed to. Um, now, what does this look like as far as how God's going to dispense judgment? I really don't know, but all I know is that it is a place of great punishment. Guess what? False teachers will face the same judgment as rebellious angels. Now, again, here we go, because we don't want to talk about a God that's going to send folks to hell. But I want you to know that God doesn't send anybody to hell. You send yourself. <laughs> you send yourself when you disobey what God will have for you to do. Okay? All right. Let's, let's look at verse 5. Because verse 5 helps us to understand that God even got tired of creation. All right? That, that, that humanity, according to the Bible... In verse 6 had become, in, in Genesis chapter 6, had become so wicked, so crazy, so out there that God, and according to the New King James Version of the, of the Scripture, it said that God repented that he had ever made humanity. God regretted that he ever made us. Wow. I don't want to live a life in such a way that God regrets making me. I don't want to live a life in such a way that God has to repent that God ever made me. I, I, I don't want to live that life. I make some mistakes. I fall short. But I don't ever want to live in a, in, in, in a reality or live a life of such where God regretted making me. That, that's why, watch this, why I take preaching the gospel and teaching the gospel very seriously. And this is why in some of my preaching and teaching, I might offend people because when I tell you the truth of God and what scripture really means, it might offend you, it might cut you, but the purpose is that God wants to get you right. And God holds me accountable. God holds me accountable for what I teach you. So, so I'm very careful about making sure that I teach you what Thus says the Lord. So we, we, we see that God had even gotten to a place where God was, was, was so fed up with the wickedness of humanity that God sends a flood. He preserved Noah and his wife and their three sons and the wives of their three sons. And then, of course, had all the animals. They placed them in an ark. But, but, but notice this. What I want you to understand is that God brought the flood for the world's ungodly people to be an example to those who would be ungodly. In other words, God does have a limit to God's mercy. There comes a time when God says, okay, I'm tired of this. All right, I'm tired of this. So even as God dealt with the ungodly, God preserved those who followed him. Now, what I want you to understand is that salvation is available to all who are willing to choose salvation. All right? Now, what, what I want you all to know, let's, let's, let's look at, at Noah. Because Noah was considered to be a righteous man. And here is the choice that you and I have, even in 2021. Follow God 
or follow a rebellious culture. Let me say that again. Follow God or follow a rebellious culture. Now, if I could just for a moment talk about Noah. Because Noah had basically preached the same sermon for 120 years. Repent, it's going to rain, judgment is coming. Repent, it's going to rain, judgment is coming. Now, what Noah was doing, according to the Bible, was Noah was preparing for something that had never happened because it never flooded before. All right. So, so Noah's faith in God gave him the reputation of being a fool. He built an ark and it has never rained before. He did that for 120 years straight. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to feel like a fool today. But the problem is, in this culture, and we see it in social media, we want the approval of folks. So we'll say anything to get likes and hearts and all that stuff uh, because we don't want to feel like a fool. We want the approval of people who don't have a heaven or a hell to put us in. i tell you something else I like about Noah. Noah invested all that he had in the promises that God had given him. Now, Noah built an ark. Noah had to depend upon his family to help him build that ark. Okay? And, and what Noah did was place everything he loved and owned into the ark. I'm going somewhere with this. And when you read the story of the ark, the Bible does not say that Noah closed the door to the ark. The Bible says that the Lord shut him up in the ark. So everything that Noah had was inside that ark. Today, you and I place our hopes, dreams, and fortunes in stock markets, in the banks, in investment, and even in people that can be uncertainty. Okay? Now, we'll, we'll, we'll place our money in those things, but we won't give tithes and offerings. We don't trust our financial security to God alone. Now, here's the last thing I want to share with you about Noah. Noah his word and his witness was rejected. Guess what? Noah in his preaching convinced no one. <laughs> he would have been regarded as total failure today. Didn't nobody come down to the house saying, Noah, I yield, I yield. I want to give my life to the Lord. I, I don't want to, you know, get caught up in the rain. According to today's standards, according to today's church marketing, Noah will be considered a total failure. Because guess what? After 120 years, he ain't have nothing to show for his work. Except for his family. Seven clean animals. Uh, seven, seven clean animals of, of, of both gender, male and female. And then two... Um, unclean animals, male and female. So all he had was his family and a whole bunch of animals that created a whole bunch of stink. In today's culture, we would 
make sure that we would pick up some type of career or job that has financial security and stability and pay and reward. I mean, who in his or her right mind will want to spin their wheels with nothing to show for it? But I want you to know something. If the choice is between God and the world is simple and clear, perhaps you haven't really counted the cost. I don't know of too many people who would advise you to go the track of Noah. But for Noah, there really was no choice. There really was no choice. Noah sided with God. God preserved and protected Noah and his family. And, of course, in saving Noah and his family, of course, the earth and humanity got another chance. Let's continue as far as this this lesson is concerned. Sodom and Gomorrah. Cities being turned to, to ashes. Here's another example of a city that was very, very sinful. Um, and Abraham petitioned God that if he could find some righteous people, would God spare the city? The interesting thing is that Abraham started off with 50. Lord, if you let me find 50 righteous people, will you spare the city? He went all the way down to 10. He couldn't find 10 righteous people in, 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 in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. He was trying to keep it from being destroyed. And, and, and we know that when we look at the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, the Lord basically incinerated that city because of its vile wickedness. All right. Abraham couldn't find 10 righteous people. 10, y'all. 10. He went from 50 to 10. He went from 50 to 10. Couldn't find 10 righteous people in two cities. He could have gone five in Sodom, five in Gomorrah. Couldn't find 10 righteous people in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay? Couldn't find 10. And according to the Bible, the Lord rained down judgment on those cities. Okay? Now I'm getting ready to say something that some of us ain't going to like. Because Peter is given an example of what can happen to the ungodly. The suffering of the ungodly is going to be painful. It's going to be rough. It's going to be cruel. Again, again, we don't like to talk about the God of judgment. We love to talk about the God of grace. But God also punishes the unrighteous. Now, can I be honest? You don't hear much preaching about God's judgment in today's culture. We got a lot of emphasis on tolerance. We, we got a lot of interest on self-help. 
We got a lot of emphasis on um, how, how you can be rich. We got a lot of emphasis on the prosperity gospel. We even have a lot of in, in, emphasis even on social justice. And while all that is okay, we can't dilute God's warning to a wicked culture. You can't neglect teaching about the judgment of God. Now, this is why it's important, because God didn't even spare the angels who rebelled against God. God did not spare the citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah who rebelled against God. God did not spare the earth who did not, those people on the earth at the time, who did not even listen to the words of Noah. Now, I'm getting ready to really throw a monkey wrench into your theology today because we got some preachers, some teachers who will have us to believe that God is going to save everybody because God is so loving and God is so gracious and God is so kind and God is so righteousness. Don't be fooled to think that God is going to cancel out the last judgment. Don't ever minimize that God is going to judge all of those who rebel against God. Judgment is coming either in this life or the one to come. Judgment is coming. We don't like to talk about that. Um, uh, We don't like to deal with that. We think we drive folks away from the church when we talk about judgment. But judgment is coming. So you can't just talk about the love of God and the grace of God and not deal with the righteousness of God and the judgment of God. I hope I'm helping somebody today. All right. Now, let, let me wrestle with just for a moment. This dude named Lot, and it said, and delivers righteous Lot. Now, in my reading of Genesis, in my reading of Genesis, Lot didn't seem so righteous. First of all, um, Lot, when you read about him, uh, just to help you out, Lot was the nephew of Abraham. And when you read the story of Lot's interaction with Abraham, you will see that his interaction with Abraham, uh, he took advantage of Abraham at times. There's a story in the Bible where it came to a point where Abraham had basically been telling Lot, listen, man, I've been carrying you for a long time. You ain't carrying your weight. We need to go our separate ways. And what Abraham did was he gave Lot the choice on which land he wanted to uh, move on and take, and Abraham would go the other way. So Lot chose what seemed like it was the best land for his sheep and goats to graze and things of that sort. He, so he took what looked the best, and that put him in Sodom and Gomorrah. All right? Okay? Abraham went the other way. Now, when you read about Lot, Lot kind of got caught up in some of the craziness of Sodom and Gomorrah. All right? Um, um, he, he got caught up in, in that lifestyle. Now, when we see the words as far as Sodom and Gomorrah is concerned, we see that they had a lot of sexual immorality that was going on, uh, sexual sins. Um, 
Um, and there's a whole lot of back and forth when folks talk about uh, homosexual activity uh, and fornication. Um, they were inhospitable. All that kind of stuff came into play. And unfortunately, what we see in the text is that God said, I am sick and tired of how you all have. Because Lot didn't have very much backbone. He had a little concern about the immorality and drunkenness. And he was involved, so involved, so involved in the city of Solomon and Gomorrah that the angels had to literally drag him away. And remember the story that, they, that, that, that the angel said, when you leave Lot, don't, when you leave Sodom and Gomorrah, don't look back. And we know the story that Lot's wife turned around and she became a pillar of salt. Now, so where do we get this idea that Lot was righteous? Where do we get this idea in the text that he was oppressed by the filthy conduct of, of, of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, where, where, where do we get this, this idea from? It, it really comes from the Jewish tradition of the telling of that story of how Abraham, check this out, prayed for the righteous in the city with a focus on Lot in particular. So in other words, I'm getting ready to bless you, Abraham's prayer justified Lot. Ooh, ooh, look where I'm getting ready to go. Abraham's prayer justified Lot. All right, in other words, Abraham's prayer made Lot righteous before God. Ooh, I'm getting ready to go somewhere with this. Just as Abraham's prayer made Lot righteous before God or justified him before God, our relationship with Jesus Christ justifies us with God. Ah, ah. And so, and so because of our relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we are justified. Then what God does is that God delivers us out of potential trouble. So for all of his issues, and Solomon and Gomorrah were off the chain, in comparison to how crazy Sodom and Gomorrah was, Lot seemed good. <laughs> all right? Lot, for all of his issues, was justified by the prayers and by the petition of, of Abraham. When you and I look at the sins of the world, when we look at the injustices taking place in society, know that one day God's going to make things all right. One day the wicked is going to be punished. The righteous is going to be rescued. All right? I mean, just think about it. Lot is described in the text as being torment, tormented about the wickedness around him. Let me ask you a question. What bothers your soul today? What, what torments your soul about the sins of society today? 
I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm, I'm tired of the crime statistics. I'm tired of seeing homicide rates going up. One of our members, Sister McCrory, lost her son to a murder Saturday night, Sunday morning at a club where he was shot by a so-called friend, allegedly. And as she prepares for his funeral in a few days, tired of hearing about that. Tired of witnessing illegal drugs uh, taking place. Tired of uh, crime rate going up because addicts are trying to deal with their habits. I'm tired of, of, of abuse that we see in society of women being beaten up. Children being disregarded. It is becoming vicious. Tired of police brutality. Tired of seeing blacks die at the hands of police for which the same thing our black brothers and sisters do, if someone white does it, they still are able to walk away. Tired of the headlines of greed and cruelty and injustice. And I, I, I'm not desensitized by that. When you become desensitized, it's really a disconnection from the spirit. Spirit ought to trouble you about that. And God has empowered us to make a difference. Because we see how far society is from the Lord. Let me go ahead and wrap up. Because the Bible says the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. Did you catch that? When you do what the Lord wants you to do, the Lord will deliver you and me out of temptation. That ought to be a word of comfort. God delivered Noah. God delivered Lot. God would deliver you and me. Please understand, and I want you to get this if you don't get anything else. God knows each one of us. God is keeping track of our suffering. Noah and Lot stood the trial by staying true to God alone, even in the midst of sin and wickedness. Early Christians back then lived in a very hostile environment, often facing persecution. When you look at the 12 apostles, beside Judas, 10 of them were martyred. Paul, his head was cut off. And there are countless others who were tarred and feathered and used as torches by the evil emperor Nero. Nero. So I, I want you to understand that, that the Christian life is not one that is exempt from suffering. But God has a way of even rescuing us either one or two ways. Either God can take us out of that situation in the here and now 
or we will be delivered through our death to bask in God's grace forever and ever. Being a Christian doesn't mean you're going to have a suffering-free life. But it does mean that God will be with you through every step of whatever trial you go through. Right? This demonstrates the, the faithfulness of God. God has rescued the righteous. God has punished the wicked. In ages past, God's going to do the same thing in the years to come. All right? Now, what I want you all to understand is that this is going to be true of those, especially those who, are, who walk according to the flesh and those who uh, are caught up in the lust of uncleanliness and despise authority. They are presumptuous and self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Peter right now is talking about the false teachers. That while evil people are going to be punished, it's going to be especially true for false teachers. These false teachers were following their own desires as far as immorality is concerned and perverted sexual practices. As a matter of fact, the false teachers taught that because you have the grace of God, you can do whatever you want to. And they considered themselves to be above morality. They despise authority. In other words, they despise church leaders. They, they, they even despise the movement of the Holy Spirit. You, you see some people who scoff at the judgment of God and the second coming of Christ. And I, want make, 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 I want you to understand that all of us are going to be judged. All of us are going to be judged. All right? All of us are going to be judged. We got to understand that the enemy is real. Satan is real. Some folks don't believe in the supernatural, but Satan is real. Satan is real. Do not take Satan and his evil powers lightly. Satan got some power. God has all power. But he's trying to render you and me as followers of Jesus Christ ineffective and apathetic. And if he does that, he has won. That's why we got to continue to pray and do what God will have for us to do. I wrap up with this. Looking at verse 11, where it says, Wherefore, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. Now, this is really what Peter is trying to get us to understand. Peter pointed out that false teachers are so bold in slandering even false angels or bad angels, okay? And Peter is saying, basically, that not even the angels in heaven who are greater than us will bring a bad word against evil angels. They let God deal with that, all right? Not, 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 while not even the angels would accuse Satan on their own authority, false teachers arrogantly would do so, revealing their ignorance of both God and Satan. So, so their complete irreverence in the form of an immoral lifestyle and slandering evil angels will result in severe punishment. Now, what am I talking about here? What you got to understand 
is that evil angels every now and then come before the court of God. And when you read uh, in the writings of Jude, how it talks about in Jude 9, yet Michael the archangel in contending with the devil, when he disputed the body of Moses, dared not to bring against Satan a reviled accusation, but said, the Lord rebukes you. Okay? Theologically, it makes more sense to take this meaning as from the Lord because God's good angels would have brought judgment from God to the rebellious angels who are no longer in power. Now, what is really all of this boiling down to? It is boiling down to the fact that the reason that there are false teachers is because they have an unchecked ego. They have an unchecked ego that is so bad they don't even have respect for authority, good or bad. Lawful or satanic. Their ego says, no law condemns me. I'm above every law. In fact, I'm my own law. They have egos that will say, God is my aid. Angels are my servant. I'm the greatest. You have developed a luciferic spirit. Your ego will tell you, only my will limits me. Only my boldness guides me. I'm the captain of my fate. I'm the master of my soul. Invictus. Now, if you think this is crazy, remember, let me use a, a moment in history, that even Christians in Germany in the 1930s were attracted to Hitler and the Nazi party. And Hitler was so full of his own ego that he recognized not even the authority of his own parliament, but he seized his own power. You and I should never become so independent that you can't be corrected. You and I should never become so independent that we reject all authority. So as I sum this up, what am I saying? Don't let your ego make you write a check that your soul can't cash. Number two, don't play with the devil. The devil is real. He just doesn't have nearly as much power as our God. And number three, beware of false teachers. Beware of those who will not deal with the judgment and the justice and the righteousness of God, but only talk about God being love and grace. Uh, beware of those. All right. So that's our teaching for today. I hope and pray that you all have been blessed as far as this insight is concerned. I want to see if there are any questions before we close out. And it seems if not, um, as we prepare to uh, close out as far as today's teaching is concerned, I want to encourage you that your giving here at the St. Paul Church makes a profound difference makes a profound difference. And here at St. Paul, uh, even in this moment of teaching, you can give. And there are several ways that you can give. First, you can mail a check or money order to the church here at 1401 Allen Street, Charlotte 28205. Or you can drop off cash, check, money order 
to the church, but just call the church to make sure someone is here to receive it at 704-334-5309. You can also give through our website through the attachments of either ACS or Church Life. And then finally, you can give through the app on your smart device um, through Givelify. Your giving makes a profound difference in the work and the ministry and the mission that we do here at St. Paul Church. And, and I want to commend you and thank you for all that you do as far as your generosity is concerned. And it's my prayer that God will restore to you in a Godful way what you sow into the moment, into this place known as St. Paul. The second thing I want to share with you is that on this Sunday is Father's Day. It's Father's Day. And um, I believe we have almost 40 fathers that have signed up to come to the worship service. And we want you to know that if you're interested in coming to the worship experience on Sunday, um, please reach out, let us know so that we can uh, make sure we have a good count. Uh, We would love for you as a father to join us in worship on Father's Day. Um, as far as this uh, weekend is concerned. And so hopefully and prayerfully, you have either gotten a text message or an email link to sign up. But if you're watching me right now and you haven't gotten either, just call the church, 704-334-5309. Give your name um, and a way that we can contact you uh, as far as that's concerned. Well, listen, I hope you have a blessed Thursday. Thank you for checking us out. May God continue to bless you and keep you. This is our prayer.